important for us to grab hold of God's ministry of intercession. That although sometimes situations, judgment is rightful and deserving, people stand in the gap and say, God, will you be God in this situation? Bring mercy instead of judgment. This is why Jesus tells us to love our enemies and pray for people who do wrong to us. Because we're saying, Lord, they're awful and they deserve to be off, but God, I'm asking for mercy for them. Praying for your enemies is something you're told to do as a follower of Jesus. That's much easier said than done, though. When someone wrongs you or hurts a person you love, you want justice. However, Pastor Daniel will remind you today that God is merciful. He can be merciful with the people opposing you. If you're able to forgive and ask for forgiveness for the accused, you might also be opening their eyes to the hope of Christ. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Exodus chapter 32 with his continuing study called The Golden Calf. Did anybody know the day that Jesus was born? Anyone find that in your Bible? December 25th? On the Gregorian calendar? Anybody? Not in there, right? It's not in there. Because sure enough... They wanted to marry what was already the winter solstice festival, and they wanted to put a little Christian spin on it. Now, someone's going to say, well, I don't want to celebrate Christmas, then I think we should celebrate the birth of Jesus every day. But that's what syncretism is. It's taking the ideas of the day and marrying it to biblical realities. And we have to be careful. In every culture, in every generation, we struggle with taking the Jesus stuff and marrying it to the cultural things. One of probably the biggest synchronistic issues we have in the West is we marry good old-fashioned materialism to the things of Jesus. You got guys on TV, they're in great suits, they have bad hair. They think they have good hair. I mean, I, you're like, Pastor Daniel, you're not allowed to talk about bad hair. Sorry about it, I repent. But they're up there and they're saying, look, God wants you to be rich. Yeah, and the things of the Spirit. But they don't say that. They say, God wants you just right over the deed to your 1,000-square-foot home, and God will give you a 3,000-square-foot home. And they call it the prosperity gospel. It's not the gospel. The gospel was that he who was rich, God became poor, that those of us who were poor could become rich. That's good old-fashioned Western materialism. You just put a little Jesus spin on it, and there's a whole bunch of people like, yeah, yeah, I'm a child of the king. I deserve a palace. And a chariot. We have to be careful of syncretism. Because Aaron sees this. He made it. And he's like, man, let's build an altar. This is Yahweh. It's like, you just want someone to be like, "Uh, no. No, it's not. That's a little golden earring calf that you made with a little engraving tool. That's all it is. But he's trying to fit it all together. He's trying to make it work. And he's like, listen, the next day they got up, they started making offerings, burn offerings and peace offerings, and they start to celebrate. They start to eat and drink. 
carouse around this, this idol. Now, look at what happens, because God gets upset. In verse 7, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, and brought you out of the land of Egypt. Verse 9, And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. So, notice, the Lord is upset now. He's upset, and he said, look, your people. God is disavowing himself to the people. He's saying, the way they are acting is unbecoming. They are not mine. Now, I got to be honest with you. That's a terrifying series of verses, isn't it? Because God is so incensed by the way that they're acting. He's like, this is not good. They are not my people because my people do not act that way. And he goes on so far. He's like, they're stiff-necked. The idea of stiff-necked, it was a farming term. When, When you had an animal that you couldn't steer... It was considered to be stiff-necked. Like, even though you're pulling the rope one way, how many of you gone horseback riding and had a bad experience? Yeah, I did. You go to pull a horse, and you go pulling it to the right, and it's going to the left, you start getting really nervous because it's a big animal, and you're not. Right? That's what stiff-necked is. It's like you're trying to steer it, and it won't go. And it won't go. And the Lord is frustrated, and he's angry with the people, and he's telling Moses, listen, you need to go down there. Because your people are not doing what they ought to be doing. And you know what's interesting about this? He ends this whole thing. He says, Moses, look, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to get rid of them. Forget this whole Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lineage. It's just going to be the people of Moses. We're going to start over from scratch. Now, you know what's interesting about this? This was not God's heart at all. And we're going to see that what goes on is Moses plays the role of the mediator in perfect fashion. God never wanted to wipe the people out. He had made promises to Abraham all the way. But in the midst of the moment of what was going on, God got frustrated with the people. And I believe the reason God allowed his anger to burn was to see, is Moses really the shepherd? Is he really the shepherd? Because you're going to find that Moses is going to intercede and God's going to say, okay, yeah, I'm not going to do that. You're right. And not because God is all over the place. There's some scholars who want to say God is like bipolar. That he gets upset, he jumps all over the place. See, realistically, God is God. And so it's hard to understand him in all of his attributes. But God had already made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Everlasting covenants with them. But God knows that Moses is going to shepherd the people by mediating for them. And what's interesting about that is if you fast forward that into the New Testament, where Jesus is the new and better Moses. Although Moses was part of delivering the people, he couldn't bring them into the promised land. Why? Because the law can never bring you to the promised land. Who brings you into the promised land? Joshua, that's right. See, it all fits together. But Moses plays at this juncture the perfect mediator. Look at his intercession in verse 11. Look at what happens. He says this, 
And Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say, he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land I will have spoken of. I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. Now notice this. This is a four-verse prayer. Although short, it was strong. And we have to be careful not to think that we are heard in our prayers for our many words. Didn't Jesus talk about that? I mean, when Jesus, and they said, Lord, teach us to pray, he told them to pray, and it's like a five-second prayer. That model prayer, our Father. Jesus' longest recorded prayer, John 17, you can read it in about a minute and a half. Moses' prayer is short, but strong. And notice, what makes his prayer strong? He prays God's own word back to him. That's what he does. Moses says, Lord, this isn't about the people. This is about you. And I believe that this is a very important lesson for us to learn. Because oftentimes when we pray, we say, God, I need, I need, I want, I'd like, you need to do. And don't get me wrong. We, we should feel comfortable to come to our Heavenly Father and say, Lord, I'd like you to do these things. But you know what? What we're saying is, Lord, I want my will done. These are the things I wish I want. And I think it was Garth Brooks who wrote the song, Thank God for Unanswered Prayer. Could you imagine if you went back, if you wrote down every prayer you ever prayed, and you actually went back and read them, and God gave them all to you? I mean, there's been some knuckleheads in there, right? Some of you gals are, you know, you're thinking, yeah, I really want to marry that guy. I was like, Lord, give me that guy as my husband. And then you're thinking to yourself, what was I thinking? And the Lord's thinking, yeah, you weren't thinking. That's why I didn't give it to you. But when you start praying, Lord, this is who you are. This is who you are. Lord, this is not about me and the children of Israel. This is about your glory, God. And each single line of this is beautiful because Moses is saying, God, this is who we know you to be. And what Moses does is instead of focusing on the children of Israel's error, he focuses on the character of God. And brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you, we need to pray like that. So often we focus on the problem and not the person of the true and living God. We're saying, Lord, all this thing is a mess without saying, Lord, you are a good God. You told me that you love me. You told me that you're for me and not against me, that you'll never leave me or forsake me. And Lord, I commit myself into your hands because you are capable and I realize that I am not capable of knowing what's best for me and I trust you, God. I would like this thing to be worked out in this ways, but Lord, not my will, yours be done because you know what, God? Your way's better than my way. And it's always been and it always will be. Lord, I love you. I can't wait to see what you're gonna do. In Jesus' name, amen. And I'll be here to tell you, when you pray that type of prayer and you walk out of your prayer closet, you're totally different than when you got in. 
Because, I mean, how many of us, you go in to spend time in prayer, and you walk out more stressed out than when you got there? You guys know what I'm talking about? Because by the time you hash out all the details to kind of fill God in on everything he already knows, you're more aggravated than when you got there. Because as you express all of it, you're like, this is really, 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 really bad. And now I'm angry, Lord, you know? But when you pray God's character, when you say, Lord, these are your people. You made promises. The Egyptians are going to say, wow, look at what this God did. He brought them in the wilderness to off them. I mean, your testimony in the world, Lord. When was the last time in hardship you said, God, what's going on right now makes you look weird in this world? And you are glorious. I just want to read the prayer again because this prayer to me is so powerful because it's, it's, it's so God-centered. It's so focused not on the problem, but on the solution. And the solution is the Lord himself and what he has already promised to do. So look, verse 11, Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them? From the face of the earth, turn your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. In verse 14, so the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. Now, if you traveled with us through the book of Genesis, you found that the Bible is primarily about three things. God, the people, and the land. God, the people, and the land. Genesis begins with it. The book of Revelation ends with it. And it's a running theme. And notice in that last verse, he gets into that he's God, they're his people, and that God has promised them the land. And notice, by the time this gets to the end, it says God relents. God changes his course of action. Now, a lot of people want to say, well, what about Numbers 23, 19? It says that God is not a man, that he should lie, nor the son of man, that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? They say, well, what does this mean if he's changing his course of action? Now, what's interesting is if you look in the Bible and you look at the ways that God works, God will change his course of action oftentimes. And most of the time, it's based on either the intercession of somebody on someone's behalf, the repentance of a group of people, like you think of Nineveh, or God just simply being compassionate on the people. It's not that God changed his mind. He just said, I'm going to do this, and then he changed his course of action. Because of Moses' standing in the gap. And that's why I also believe it's very important for us to grab hold of God's ministry of intercession. That although sometimes situations, judgment is rightful and deserving, people stand in the gap and say, God, will you be God in this situation? Bring mercy instead of judgment. This is why Jesus tells us to love our enemies and pray for people who do wrong to us. Because we're saying, Lord, they're awful and they deserve to be off, but God, I'm asking for mercy for them. When the victim of evil comes in that way, 
God will avert the course of action. Now, with all this being said, I think it's important to realize that the promises of God are applied to those who have committed their lives to Jesus. And I know in a room this size with hundreds of people watching on the internet right now, people picking it up later, the promises of God are applied by faith. You might be a recipient. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, you will still be the recipient of what is commonly called common grace. Like God doesn't only make it rain on his people and it's, it's not raining on other people. But the application of the promises of God in your life come by saying, Lord, I want to be a family member. And once you become a family member, then you have access to the inheritance of the family. But if you are saying, I don't want Jesus, I mean, that's all fine and well, I like doing my own way, then you do not have access to pray the promises of God because you're not part of the family. Like if Obadiah, my son, comes into the house and makes a beeline for the pantry, I mean, he's my son, you know. I might keep him away from my Twinkie stash, but... You know, it's like he's allowed in there, right? But if Obadiah comes and makes a beeline into your house, you might be like, hey, who's this kid in my pantry eating my ding-dongs? It's inappropriate, right? And that's why I'm here to tell you, listen, God wants you to be able to seek him, talk to him, and pray based on his character. He wants that. And he wants that so much. He sent him who was the most precious to him, his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross, a death he didn't deserve for you and for me. And all you need to do is say, yes, Lord, and simply respond to Jesus and say, God, I was doing my own thing. I want to be part of your family. I want, I want access to all that you are for me in Christ. I don't even know what that means, but I want to be in. And then guess what, man? You have free dibs on the fridge. You do. You have a house key. There's a bed set up there. There's a place at the table for you. But don't think you cannot be part of the family and get into the house. But God, listen, no matter what you've done, he's placed an open door for you. You just have to say yes. It's not like God saying, look, I want you to click your heels three times, spin around and say, I wish I was home. I wish I was home. I wish I was home. And then maybe if you're lucky, you'll get in. He simply sent Jesus 2,000 years ago, a fixed point in history, historically verifiable. He came. He lived the perfect life. He died. He rose again for you. And all you have to do is just say, Lord, I re- please, Lord, I want it. I want it. I want to be in. And it doesn't matter what you've done. You might be saying, well, God, why would God want me in, in his family? I've totally screwed everything up. Listen, we've all totally screwed everything up. God doesn't let you in because you're good enough. God lets you in because he loves you that much. And it doesn't matter what you've done. Listen, I know there's some here right now, you're listening online, you're like, I can't go there. I've done too much wrong. Listen, at the cross, he dealt with everything. No matter how many abortions, no matter how many marriages, no matter how deep, how deep the wake of hurt people is behind you, if you come to Jesus, you will be forgiven by God. And then God will give you the grace to start to go back to people and say, listen, I've been a royal knucklehead and I am so sorry. And if there's any way in your heart you can find to forgive me, I would be totally humbled. But if you didn't, I would completely understand. But God is doing a work in my life and I have completely wronged you.
and I'm sorry. But you have access to the house by saying yes to Jesus. He is the door of the sheepfold. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. And if you do, then you can come to him and say, Lord, you need to do a work here because this is who you are. Now, verse 15. Look at what happens. So Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides, on the one side and on the other side, they were written. Now, the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. Verse 17, and when Joshua heard the noise of the people, and they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. So Moses is traveling down. He has these two blocks of stone, tablets of stone, with the Ten Commandments on it. Right? And he's coming down. And somewhere on the descent down, he meets with Joshua. Joshua is Moses' apprentice. We're going to find that Moses allowed Joshua along for the ride. And Joshua ended up became the, the next leader of the children of Israel. And you know, when I see these things, I can't miss but say, who are you pouring into? Who have you brought under your wing and say, look, I'm going to do this. You're going to watch. We're going to talk about it. Because what's cool is you're going to find eventually Joshua's doing all sorts of things. And Moses is watching Joshua do things. And Joshua ends up doing more than Moses ever could do. Because Moses was self-giving. And I believe that every believer should not only have a Paul who's pouring into them, but should have a Timothy who they're downloading into. And brothers and sisters, listen, I'm here to tell you, I'm here to tell you that everywhere, everywhere in this world, there are people who you can pour into no matter where you are in your life. You know, I may say, hey, I've been a Christian for two days. Well, there's been a lot of people who've never been Christian for one minute. Let people pour into you and pour that thing out. Joshua, for 40 days, was hanging out somewhere waiting for Moses. I always wish there was like, I wonder what was going on in Joshua's life at that time. As he's like, God, you know, I know Moses is with you right now, but I'd like a little time with you, Lord. I mean, who knows what he said? Who knows what he did? But he's catching the ministry from Moses. He's watching Moses with the Lord, and he's learning and growing and being cared for and discipled. In the process. So they come down and Joshua's like, dude, I, I hear the noise of war. And Moses is like, that's not war you hear or victory. They're singing. And look at what happens. Verse 19. And so it was as soon as he came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf which they had made, burned it in the fire and ground it to powder, and he scattered it on the waters and made the children of Israel drink it. Jesus is real. Are you willing to pray for your enemies? This isn't an easy request, but it's one that God makes of you. Today, Pastor Daniel shared with you that even though he knew the Israelites were wrong, Moses prayed that God would remember his promises. He asked for mercy, and God gave it. The people still needed to face punishment, but because of Moses' intercession, they didn't lose their lives. 
If you've enjoyed Pastor Daniel's teaching today on Jesus is Real Radio, we'd like to invite you to join us at Crossroads Community Church for our Sunday services at 8 a.m., 10 a.m., or 12 p.m. If you can't come in person, you can still be part of our vital congregation by tuning in to our live stream. Find out more at crossroadschurch.net. That's crossroadschurch.net. Hi, friends. Pastor Daniel here. I'd love for you to be part of the Crossroads Community Church family, but I understand some of our listeners can't make it to the actual church building. If that's you, come join us online. We live stream our Sunday morning services at crossroadschurch.net. So grab a cup of coffee and join us wherever you are for our time of worship and teaching. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel will remind you that in order to have access to the full blessings of God, you need to be in the family of God. This isn't a do-good-and-hope-for-the-best situation. There's an easy way to get there. Jesus came to die for your sins so that you could be in this family of faith, adopted as a son or daughter of the King. All you need to do is turn from your sins and accept that grace. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.